Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 44 with ultra-spiritual comedian, J.P. Sears. This episode was brought to you by Keen. On all my greatest wild adventures, I've had a pair of Keens with me. I wore them when I stand up paddled down a portion of the Peruvian Amazon River, when I went tubing through the glowworm caves in New Zealand, and even trekking through the rainforest of Costa Rica. Keen's most known for their Newport sandal. They're made to go in water and on land, but right now they also have some amazing new styles I'm especially excited about. The Terradora collection, for example, was designed specifically for the unique biomechanics of a woman's foot and stride. It was designed so you could trek all through Yosemite or any great hiking destination, and so you could wear them through the city streets, on the beach, and they're stylish enough to wear out after with leggings or jeans. Best of all, Keen is a family-owned company. They're out of Portland, Oregon. They're committed to not only protect the places we play outside, but they also provide numerous grants to causes and difference makers who share their ambitious goals. They support some kick-ass ambassadors as well. You can check them out at keenfootwear.com. That's K-E-E-N footwear.com for more. This episode was brought to you by Newzest. A company from New Zealand I discovered there that makes some of the healthiest, yummiest, and sustainable vitamin and quality pea protein supplement powders and bars on the market. There's no GMO, no dairy, no soy, gluten, grains, artificial sweeteners, no added sugar, no preservatives, no fillers, no animal products, no bad stuff. It's all good stuff made in Belgium, Australia, or New Zealand, not in China. I'm a huge advocate for clean, healthy eating, and I also travel a lot, which is why I love taking New Zest powders and bars on the road. My favorites are their chocolate clean lean protein, the just fruit and veg mix, which actually has five fruits and five veggies inside, and a product called the Quick Vita Kick, which has all the vitamins you need to go all day long, plus protein, prebiotics, probiotics, real fruits and veggies, and digestive enzymes with only 48 calories, zero grams of sugar, and six grams of protein. The Cacao Honey Quick Vita Kick is my favorite. I kind of use it like dessert. All of their powders taste great. Right now, if you use the code WILDIDEAS at newzest-usa.com, that's N-U-Z-E-S-T hyphen USA.com, you'll get 15% off every order, even repeat orders. So go to newzest-usa.com. Make sure you enter the code WILDIDEAS at checkout. J.P. Sears is a spiritual comedian who describes himself as an emotional healing coach, international teacher, world traveler, and a curious student of life whose work is intended to empower people to be the best versions of themselves and live more meaningful lives. You may know him from his hilarious YouTube videos. He's the guy with the red hair, the bright blue eyes, and the amazing straight face who does these videos that are hilarious with these great underlying messages about relationships, spirituality, and how self-righteous we can be as groups, whether we're yogis, vegans, raw foodies who make raw food cucumber pizza with just the cucumbers for every ingredient, or whatever it may be. I love this episode. I was a little nervous at first, but it gets really, really good. JP talks about how he came to use humor to talk about really important issues, advice to living wildly and making a living from your passions, why humor can be so important to your life and how cathartic it can be, why getting out of your comfort zone is necessary, how, of course, he gets his amazing six-pack abs, his choice between avocados and coconuts, his party he's going to throw if he could throw one anywhere at any time, his love of mushrooms, and so much more. I hope you enjoy this show. It's definitely one of my favorites. All right, I'm with J.P. Sears of Awaken with J.P., one of my favorite humans pretty much ever to watch on YouTube and everywhere. JP, welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. 
Hey, Shelby, thank you for having me. And I'm also a little bit offended that you think I'm a human or only a human. But I'm going to I think I'm going to let that go pretty soon here. That's right. The guru guru as well. I actually have your book. It's so good. Oh, thank you for getting that. I got it at even Encinitas. So what's your what's your tie to San Diego? I saw that you worked at the Czech Institute. Yeah, so I lived in San Diego. So actually just up the road from you in Carlsbad, I lived there for 10 years. And it's been three and a half years since I left town. Now I'm principally based in Charleston, South Carolina. At least that's where my house is. I travel enough that I, I don't really know where I live other than like where I'm at in the moment. And then, yeah, so Encinitas is like one of the ultra spiritual capitals of the world. <laughs> and it, having lived there, you know, Carl, for the listeners who don't know about North County, San Diego, the towns like Encinitas, Solana Beach, Carlsbad, they pretty much blend together and they form sort of a new age ultra spiritual Mecca. So having lived there for 10 years, I was immersed in the the world of spirituality, both the good side as well as the side that uh, our egos use to gratify itself. So that really, that immersion really gave me uh, a lot of material for my videos, gave me the inspiration to start my uh, ultra spiritual life series. I just love how you've been able to use humor to, well, let me just back up. Because I, I also used to make fun of yogis so much because there is a little bit of ridiculousness in all of it in Encinitas. You've seen that side sure, as well. Sure. But of course, I went and got my yoga teacher training because there's some benefits of it. But but really, I want to ask you, you know, maybe you could just tell everybody listening briefly about your journey to first becoming a holistic coach, but then integrating humor to talk about really important issues, as well as poking fun of kind of how self-righteous and how dogmatic we can be as group groups, whether we're vegans or yogis or self-conscious parents. I think yeah. you do a really great job doing that. So maybe you could just tell us briefly first about your journey and then how you came to use humor to talk about these things. Sure. You know, I, I think my journey of self-development and spirituality or whatever we want to call it, my journey started because I desperately needed it. I was in my super early 20s when it started. And up until that point, I was severely emotionally disconnected while having no idea that I was severely emotionally disconnected. It's like a, an emotionally disconnected fish doesn't know it's swimming in emotionally disconnected waters because that's pretty much all I, I had known. So the way I had dealt with my emotions is just by disconnecting with them before I even knew they were there. It was just like all unconscious emotional self-preservation strategies. And so I was numb as hell. And funny thing about being numb as hell, haha, in a frightening kind of way, is while we might be numb to pain, we're also numb to pleasure. So I was finding life was starting to feel like very flatlined. So I, I, I just I, I had this feeling like I, I, there's something more than trying to gratify myself off my five senses, trying to gratify myself off of my uh, status. So I dropped out of college and started searching, didn't know what the hell I was searching for. And, and along the way, found some powerful mentors who helped me begin and accelerate my journey of healing, reconnecting to tons of uh, emotional scar tissue, stuff that I needed to deal with, feelings that I needed to feel. They had been constipated in my system for a couple decades. Mm. And one of the ways that I disconnected from my pain as a child, I learned it pretty quickly, was I would use humor. I'd find if I felt insecure, if I felt insignificant, which of course I did, I was a freaking human being, who among us doesn't? So uh, instead of feeling insecure and like insignificant, I would just make people laugh. Because I found if I could make someone laugh, I feel significant because they're laughing. Therefore, the insignificant feelings that I had inside, I could disconnect from those temporarily. And, and like even disconnect from them before I 
touched them very much before I even knew they were there. And then because, of course, that strategy works really well for about three and a half minutes, I'd have to be on to making the next person laugh. So I got a lot of repetitions of it. And then, you know, uh, going back into start of my journey of healing, self-development, and then started my client practice of working with people, helping them help themselves uh, heal emotionally. But during the first 13 years of my emotional healing coaching career, I told myself a story that letting my natural sense of humor come out would be really bad for business. It would discredit me, make me look like I'm not a sincere emotional teacher. And then I got tired of betraying myself and I made and released my first comedy video called How to Be Ultra Spiritual. So that was an interesting full circle. And why I say full circle, because it's like the humor I originally used to disconnect from pain, which ultimately meant disconnecting from myself and using humor to become less self-aware. Now I was coming full circle and using humor to connect with myself, create self-awareness and and not run from pain, but actually embrace and understand and process my pain rather than denying it through humor. So full circle, it's like using the tool of humor in the opposite way that I used it as a child. And, and, and I delightfully discovered that as I put out a few comedy videos that I was also holding up a mirror, uh, using the language of humor as a way of helping other people find more self-awareness, see things about themselves that they otherwise couldn't see just through a field of seriousness. Wow. So humor was pretty much a game changer for you, I'm guessing you know, three years ago, did your career just sort of take off to a new light when you released that video? Yeah. So I mentioned that I thought letting my humor out like publicly would be the worst thing I could have done for my business. And it, it turns out I couldn't have been more wrong. Like I, I was just severely wrong, which certainly taught me not to believe everything I think. So yeah, the comedy videos became the best thing I ever did for my business. My schedule became more than full. And then it also expanded this thing we're calling business into worlds that I never even imagined. Opportunities opened up that to this day continue to challenge me, frighten me, yet fulfill me and help me expand and and find new depths of creativity, new depths of connection, and new new willingness to go on adventures that I I, I never dreamed of before. And, and I'm finding that comedy is a language of connection. It's something that unites people, and it, it's just been a, a jolting yet pleasant surprise of what it's done for me in my life. Well, we're all really appreciative that you've used comedy to talk about these things, JP. I mean, so many people Thank enjoy you. what you do, especially myself. And and I'm a big fan of the power of comedy. Um, I love Saturday Night Live and its yeah. ability to talk about politics better than anything. For sure. And, and I love what you're doing. And I have a friend who works with high-profile comedians in LA, and she says, you know, the best humor does come from pain. And yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I believe part of that's true, but I also think that humor is so important. How can everyday people, including myself, I've been sort of afraid to, I can be really inappropriate and, and that's my natural <laughs> state and everything is like a penis joke to me, but how I'm afraid to, to talk about it all the time because it's inappropriate, sure. right? And I have a podcast and I'm supposed to be, you know, professional, which I'm not always any advice on like how other people can cultivate humor and use it every day for good and not, not in a bad way to make fun of other people, but to like use it for good. Yeah, a hundred percent. And and I think the first step in cultivating the, the, the blossoming of humor to enrich our lives for good begins by realizing it can also be used for bad. Their humor is a powerful alchemist, if you will. And like anything powerful, it can be used for 
good. It can be used for bad. And you had mentioned, you know, the humor for shaming people, belittling people, hurting people. We need to be aware, yes, humor can be used as a weapon. And then from my point of view, there, there's also something with humor that needs to be unapologetic. Because if we start, if we're not unapologetic, our humor starts to become diluted before it even comes out of our mouth. And if we dilute our humor, then when it comes out of our mouth, it's not humorous. Mm. It's just watered down uh, uh, what I would call meaningless perspective. So what I mean about becoming unapologetic with our humor, it means we got to represent our freaking heart with our voice, with our humor, without concern for what will other people think. In other words, if we try to stay in a people-pleasing mentality, I think that dilutes our humor significantly. Now, that's not to say like, okay, let's just hurt people so that I can be under the guise of being unapologetic. No, it's not that. But it's realizing we live in a world where if you say anything with meaning, one thing is for certain, someone will get offended. If you, The more we speak in a meaningless, politically correct language, the more nobody's going to get hurt by what we say. But at the same time, we're not saying anything with what we say. We're, we're not saying anything meaningful with what we say. So I, I definitely advocate people to get out of a people-pleasing mentality where we try to avoid people getting offended. People create their own offense. And I think one of the purposes of humor is to challenge people into new levels of consciousness. One of people's reactions to being challenged to a new level of consciousness is being offended. So with that said, we, we can't be afraid of offending people. It doesn't mean deliberately try to offend people to hurt them. No, that is something very different. But we can't be afraid of letting our truth offend people. And then the, the just a third step, if I was keeping track of my steps, step number one is be aware that humor can be used for harm. Step number two, unapologetically voice your heart with your humor. And then step number three is become playful with what offends you the most and that, that which you feel most insecure about. Learn to become playful with those things. Once you do, you've, you've found what I think is a gold mine of humor. If we learn to not take seriously the things we take seriously, then I think we're, we're in a, a dream field of levity of humor, whether or not like it ever, yeah, other people laugh doesn't matter, but the humor starts working for us. I think seriousness, it's a fear-based mindset and that's okay to have a fear-based mindset as long as we don't get stuck in it. So learning to become playful and make light of things that we take so seriously that we feel insecure about. And when we hear someone say something and we get that, that sort of tingly heat inside of our bodies, that sensation of I'm offended, I might even be outraged, I might be angry, we've just been handed a gift. That is something inside of us that we need to take a look at. I personally believe it's impossible for people to get offended about something unless they feel a fundamental insecurity about that something. So that insecurity is something we need to look at. And we can become secure with our insecurities when we learn to make fun of them. And that means, wow, uh, we get to actually be more playful in life rather than having a severe seriousness like we're at a funeral all the time. Is there any examples you can give of things that you've you've been sort of insecure about and, and talked about and use humor to, to kind of go to to help with that? Yeah, everything I do in my videos is an answer to that. So my spiritual life is is a big uh, uh, a big piece of real estate in my insecure development inside. And I would so originally three years ago, you know, I would always walk around 
and think like, am I more conscious than that person? Or I need to be more insightful than that person. Or if I'm in a group, I need to say the wisest thing. And that would all stem from the fact that I feel insecure next to other people, next to other people who I deem to be wise. So I needed to start making fun of that, shining the light on it through the language of humor, which I did through videos. So I felt very insecure about my spirituality, very insecure about my worth. And thus I make videos about it. I feel insecure about my relationships, uh, romantic relationships. So I make videos about relationships. I, I think the most recent uh, relationship-oriented video is one a few months ago I made with who, my lovely lady, Amber, who's now my fiance. It's called yeah. Passive-Aggressive Relationship Techniques. <laughs> I can be one of the most passive-aggressive people I know. And just being controlled by my insecurity would mean I'm not going to talk about it. And I'm probably not even going to acknowledge my passive aggressiveness. But becoming more secure with my insecurity means I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to expose it. I'm going to show people I do this. I'm going to become vulnerable with it. So to me, that is a uh, it, it, and do it in a way that's sort of comedic. So. Yeah, those those are a few examples from my life. I, I love that video. And um, congrats on your engagement to Amber. So cool. Thank you. And then I saw some conscious parenting videos recently. And then I saw one recently about raw cucumber pizza. And and I yes. love to make fun of raw foodies and vegan. And I'm actually a recent vegan. And I'm, I'm not so sure about it. So I make fun of vegans and I am a vegan now. Um, yeah. I want to know, are you, are you vegan? Do you subscribe to any of these things or do you just eat healthy or? Well, I, I'm not vegan. I'm Caucasian. Okay. That's right. You're, yeah, you're at, Caucasian. At the, okay, good. At the same time, I do eat a strict vegan diet <laughs> while I simultaneously eat a strict meat eating diet. I don't think the two have to be mutually exclusive. Oh. And to actually give you a straight answer to your question, Shelby, no, I'm not a vegan. I have... I would say I'm, I don't have nutritional dogma. I used to, man, I, I wore that for a long time. I would say it, not my only nutritional dogma is I'm very dogmatic about having nutritional dogma and I'm very pro honor the wisdom of your body, feed your body what it needs, not what you think it needs. Uh, oftentimes it can be very different. So but yeah, Emma, my beautiful fiance, Amber, she's vegan. She's been vegan for eight or nine years. And uh, I'm, I'm delighted she also has a sense of humor about what I would call her eating practice, not what she is. I don't think anybody's vegan. I think they do veganism. Yes. I like how you said that. Thank you. And, um, you know, a couple of people actually wrote in questions for you and yeah. and it's some of the, one of the things that I think you do so incredible, a guy named, I don't know his real name, but an Instagram, he's at Kaulu Kook. I'm guessing he's Hawaiian, super cool Hawaiian Instagram name. He wanted me to ask you, how do you keep a straight face through these hilarious videos? Especially there was one I recently watched where you're doing yoga teacher training and you're, you're fiance is in like down dog pose and you're sure. kind of right behind her. Looking all yoga teacher, creepy-ish. <laughs> and I love that because I always, you know, I mean, everybody who goes to yoga class with a dude yoga teacher is like, this guy yeah. either has it made or he's super creepy. Um, so maybe you could tell me how you keep a, how do you keep a straight face? Like I would have been cracking up through that whole video. Yeah, well, I think there's a couple things with keeping a straight face for me. One is it's hard to tickle yourself. So we all know like someone else can tickle you. Pretty easily, wherever your tickle spots are, like on your ribs, feet, armpits, wherever. But if you try to tickle yourself, it is much harder. So laughing is a form of psychological uh, tickling. So because because I'm saying what I'm saying, it's like I'm tickling other people, but I'm I'm tickling myself, which isn't too ticklish. So the other thing is having the straight face for most of my deliveries is is part of the art of my 
unique comedy. So, so like staying true to my art, it's like, I, I get into the, the character of straight face and, you know, there I am, I, I become the character as a way of delivering my art. So that's a, a very important expression. It's just like if a painter needs like a, a, a deep blue color uh, as she's painting the water, they're not going to dip their brush in white. They're going to dip it in the deep blue color and use that color. So essentially the color of the dry straight face delivery is what I dip my brush in for my videos. And uh, occasionally they're, you know, I'll slip up and, you know, I'll start laughing and need to do a retake because of that. And that specific yoga teacher video that you, you mentioned, that was all improv. So I I didn't know what I was going to say until I said it. And naturally, uh, Amber was laughing her butt off through a lot of that video. So that would get me laughing. So we had to do a lot of retakes because of one or both of us laughing. So it's one thing to do, you know, these videos on YouTube. It's another to do stand-up comedy. And it, it looks like you're doing a lot of stand-up comedy coming up. So two yeah. questions. One, you know, I have so much respect for stand-up comedians. I think it is absolutely the hardest job in the world to get up on stage and have other people just expect you to make them laugh. So I want to know what's your self-talk or like ha- – do you ever have fear of getting in front of a stage? And if you do, what's your self-talk? And also, did you ever have like any formal training in improv or performance or even video, um, how to make a good video? Because what you do, you do really well. Yeah, thank you for that. And, and maybe rolling backwards through your questions. No, never had any training in video or comedy or improv. Actually, uh, I take that back about a year and a half ago. I did take a six week improv class here in Charleston, South Carolina theater 99. They're amazing people. So I, I really enjoyed that class and honestly, I'd love to do more of it. I, I, I know I have tons that I could learn and develop, but aside from that six week course, no, no formal training. And, and you know, the idea of getting on on a stage in front of people inherently that's not not too scary for for me anymore i've been talking in front of groups pretty regularly since 2006 and and so it's something that excites me do i get nerves before i go on stage yes yet the nerves they don't feel debilitating or uh, or negative, I'd say they're actually enhancing. It's like they're exciting nerves. Yet the comedy tour, uh, it does have a fear component because it's something new I'm doing. You know, live performances under the guise of comedy. So how I'm approaching that is reminding myself that I'm not there to just do stand-up comedy. I'm there primarily to be J.P. Sears. And comedy is a part of who who I am. And also speaking from my heart is part of who I am. And, and I consider stand-up comedy to be a very specific art form, an art form that I have a lot of respect for. And honestly, it's an art form that uh, that I don't really do. And I, and I say that and it sounds kind of weird, like, well, JP, well, you get on stage and you do comedy. Yes. But one of the, the differences that I think I have, go it, honestly, that makes my job easier is when I get on stage, I don't really have to just automatically win over a foreign audience in the first minute. Like a like is normally a part of the art of stand-up comedy, and honestly, it's probably one of the toughest parts of the art of stand-up comedy, because when people come to see me, they'll have seen me on video, and they'll they'll uh, essentially, lack of a better term, like me enough that they want to come see me live. So in other words, it's like I've already won the audience over before they came to see me. No, that's not at all an indictment where I want to be complacent and I'm not going to stand up and give my all or prepare well. No, 
It's just to say that I uh, I have enough respect for stand-up comedy that what I would say I do is called stand-up J.P. Sears. I like that. And it is different going to see you versus Chris Rock or something like that. Sure. I, I feel yeah, like I, I get so much out of uh, – I, I can see how people just are going to love this tour. So where exactly are you going? Yeah, the the initial leg of the tour will be Boston, Brooklyn, and Washington, D.C. And then uh, after that, we'll be announcing more dates and locations. Cool. Maybe you'll be coming to the West Coast. I'd have a hard time believing that that wouldn't happen. Awesome. Um so many of my listeners, they want to make a living around their passions. You've managed to do it. Any advice on how to make a living, actual money around doing what you love? And are there any tactics you've used, I mean, to, to get it done? Yeah, yeah a, a couple really important things come to my mind. At least they're important to me. And I'm biased, you know, I'm speaking through the lens of my life. So nonetheless, what's worked for me Making a living from your passion, when you start your passion, don't try to make a living from it. Mm. You know, our passions usually involve a lot of creativity, and our passions are usually a seed that begins to blossom. So it's not going to be an oak tree overnight. Now, an oak tree, that's something we can literally live off of. We can build a tree house that's strong enough to live off of. But if we say, okay, I'm going to start a passion project tomorrow, and I'm going to demand that that thing provide for me. I have to live off my passion project tomorrow. Well, that's like the the acorn. It just starts to germinate. It's a tiny little seedling. And we sit on it and say, okay, this has to support me now. So I'm a big fan of uh, inviting people to consider that however you're making your living now, even if it's something you hate, keep keep earning a living while you develop your passion project so that once your passion project has taken hold, it's blossomed, it's growing, it's actually got a deep root system, and it's strong, then it can just naturally start supporting you rather than like putting a gun to the creative inner child's head and say, okay, now, now be creative enough and passionate about your passion that you support me. It can almost put us under a stress response rather than us being in a, a more open-minded, open-hearted space that I think is more conducive to allowing our passions, our playfulness, and our creativity fly. So there's that. And then the other thing that I mentioned, you know, not only for helping us develop a living uh, with, uh, off of our passions, but also just like having a successful life in terms of fulfillment, it would be get outside of your comfort zone. One of my favorite authors, Brene Brown, she has a beautiful saying. I just love it. He or she who's willing to be the most uncomfortable is not only the bravest, but rises the highest. I think addiction to comfort is the death of our creativity. It's the death of our passion. It's the death of our fulfillment. The more we can create scenarios that make us psychologically uncomfortable, the better. It expands us. Growth doesn't happen inside of our comfort zone. I think rest happens inside of our comfort zone, but growth, excitement, and passion are found on uh, the outside of the fence of our comfort zone. So I think when we can get into habits of regularly making ourselves uncomfortable, for me, it's polar plunging, whether it's taking cold showers or I have a freezer full of uh, like 34 degree water on my back deck. I get on that. That's a physical ritual that teaches me at a very somatic level to embrace discomfort. And that when I go into discomfort, even though part of my mind might be saying this is going to kill me, it reminds me that which scares me to death probably isn't going to kill me. It probably actually makes me stronger, enhances me and connects me to more of my inner resources. I love that. I have a friend who sailed to Tahiti as a kid. Now she's an ambassador. I guess not as a kid, as like a 25-year-old. Now she's an ambassador for Patagonia, and that's oh, wow. her line. I'm, my comfort is caustic. And wow. It's such a wow. powerful thing. So wait, do you do Wim Hof? I mean, you do the ice ice baths, it sounds like. 
No, yeah, I, I don't do Wim Hof specifically. I haven't done any of his training. It's, uh, yeah, I would, I would call it just an unsophisticated polar plunge where I'll jump into the ice bath and I'm in it for usually 30 to 60 seconds. I mean, it's, it is as cold as you can get water. Usually I'm breaking ice off the top. Um, so I'm not there with the, like, I, I think part of the Wim Hof intention is go through specific breathing techniques to build up your endurance in cold water. That's something a little bit different that I'm just not looking to energize in my life. I'm just looking for exposure to the discomfort of it, which certainly gives, in my experience, a very beneficial shift in the state of my psychology and physiology. Oh, I like your approach. So wait, how do you pull this off in Costa Rica where it's balls hot and very hard to get a nice bath? That was one of the things I missed most while I was in Costa Rica. So you're referencing my uh, lovely lady and I, we were just in Costa Rica for about two and a half months up until probably about a month ago. And yeah, there was no cold water anywhere. The you turn the shower on as cold as it can get it get and it comes out like eighty degrees. So unfortunately, I didn't get to do my polar plunging ritual. Which, by the way, that was uncomfortable. Like it was uncomfortable. I can't do this. So in a, in a way, that that breached me into a new discomfort zone. Well, there's all sorts of uncomfortable things in Costa Rica. There's bugs. There's lots of mosquitoes. Things that eat you. Sure. But it's such a Funny place. I love that you also did a video about Costa Rica. Come to Costa Rica because there's definitely not enough people going there right now. Yeah. So another question from a listener. We'll just call her at Shelby Sanger not to throw this person under the bus. How do you get those six-pack abs? Is that, you know, the Czech Institute or work or just are you blessed or do you do a lot of sit-ups? Yeah. uh uh, well, me and my abs appreciate the question. Good. The, uh, I, I certainly learned a lot about exercise and nutrition through the Czech Institute. And, and, and so I would say the, the um, keys, if you will, would be clean eating. I eat next to no processed foods. Everything I eat is virtually whole foods. Uh, I tend to find my body needs uh, a pretty super high fat diet, relatively low carb diet. And then so no coconut oil, no avocado. Oh, ton, tons of coconut <laughs> oil, tons of avocado, tons of MCT oil, uh, tons of grass fed butter. And then, you know, I honestly, I think taking care of oneself through decent whole food nutrition, sleep, and some level of movement, and uh, my body seems to respond accordingly. Do you surf at all? I No, I've never surfed. JP, let's go when you're in San Diego next. I'll take you and Amber. Or we can do it in Costa Rica. Very cool. Uh, in fact, Amber just walked in, so I'm going to inform her that she's got a surf lesson coming up. Yes, I've taught 80-year-old overweight women to surf. Actually, this week we're teaching um, really cool week. We teach wounded veterans um, who've served our country how to surf, and it's so oh, inspiring. Um, yeah, I bet that means a lot. And and I love the not only the literal act of surfing, not that I've ever done it, but here I am speaking from a place of uh, uninformed uh, intelligence, but surfing is a metaphor. Like one, it gets a person out of their comfort zone, which I, and I love that. And then two, I think it's a powerful teacher of presence because you would know better than me, Shelby, but when someone's on a wave, if you're not present, you're going to fall off super quick. Or if you're not present with what is in the ocean with where the wave is, how it's coming, you're not going to catch it. So by necessity, I think the environment, the environment and the ritual of surfing teaches us to get present in order to learn how to surf. So I, I love everything about that. Well, cool. I hope you take me up on this offer and I'm just going to go through our little in podcasting world. I've heard we've got to do this. Someone asked me to do a little lightning quick and dirty round of questions. And so I'm going to take their advice and try it. So I'm going to ask you a couple Light, of questions. Lightning, quick and dirty lightning, round. Quick and dirty, round. Like the dirty. Dirty, dirty. Actually, this one is actually not a quick and dirty question, but, but you know, I, I don't know what you were like as a 15-year-old. You talked about how there was a little bit of pain 
as a youngster, you know, if you could go back and give your 15 year old self one piece of advice at such a vulnerable time, you're either a freshman or sophomore in high school, what would you tell him? Yeah, I would tell him, I can see you're scared and insecure. And honestly, it's okay. You're not the only one. So I would tell him that. I think that's what he needs to hear the most, especially when I was 15, my freshman year of high school, and then in my sophomore year of high school, I went into a shell of hiding because of how insecure I felt. And and, and I stayed in that shell, honestly, for a few years so that my insecurities wouldn't be exposed, uh, especially to me. So, man, I think there would be so much freedom and liberty if 15-year-old JP found more vulnerability to simply let himself be insecure and feel scared. Thank you for that. And I actually saw a video you did um, that was almost a service announcement to bullying. Um, I don't know where I found that, but I'm going to link it to the show notes because I just thought that was so powerful. I'm doing some work talking to teens these days, and it's so cool what you do for kids. So. Quick couple of questions. Best books you've recently read or recommend? Mm. Well, I think my most recommended book of all time is Conversations with God, book one by Neil Donald Walsh. And at first glance by the title, it sounds dogmatically religious. In my opinion, it's not at all. It's, It's like a philosophical book. It's just amazing. It changed my life. I read that when I was 20 years old. And then Best books I've read lately, I think the last book I read was The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho. Um, and I, I, yeah, yeah, I think it was a good book. I, I would definitely recommend it. I think, um, and I'm trying to think if I, man, I haven't been reading much lately. It's okay. You've been pretty busy. How about gifts you love? Or loved gift. And by the way, the, both those books are awesome. Yeah. Love conversations you. with God. Um, any gifts you love to give or you love to get? Gifts I love to give. I love to give amber shoulder massages and foot massages. I mean, I, I really do. I probably get as much enjoyment out of giving her a massage as she does receiving it. And to me, that's a a gift based on connection rather than, you know, a material gift, which certainly has merit uh, in times and places. But it's like a gift based on connection. And I love that. And as far as receiving gifts, gifts based on connection are what I love most, whether it's a a time with a person, an experience with a person. But typically when people give me physical gifts often <laughs> don't tell anybody I said this as I announce it on your podcast but a lot of times the gifts physical gifts will go straight into the trash with appreciation by the way <laughs> but I I I I don't like clutter I I don't either yeah. we have like nothing so, in our house that's awesome yeah I you know it. to me minimalism is next to godliness that doesn't rhyme but so, yeah, physical gifts. It's like if I don't have a, a joyful use for it, into the trash it goes. Um, beard or mustache? Oh, I I think beard, unless you're in the porn industry, then got you got to go with the mustache. You got to get the stash. Um, avocados or coconuts, if you could have only one of them on an island. Wow. Wow. This is... It's deep. I know. It, it is <laughs> deep. I'm really going through a hero's journey right now. And I'm arriving at the destination of avocado. I love avocados. Actually, I just was talking to someone who works on on an avocado farm. And all they do is grow avocados and coffee. And it happens to be oh, the farm of a really cool musician. So I was like, oh, we should... Do the podcast there and eat all your avocados. Getting off track. Um, yeah, avocados and coffee, by the way. Coffee's, I mean, I I love coffee, so that's my kind of farm. Any special, like, nootropics you've been playing with or kind of cool supplements? Yeah, uh, all the time. So uh, have you heard of Alpha Brain by Onnit? I have. It's Aubrey, Aubrey Marcus, or is that his company? Am I saying yeah. it right? 
Okay. Yeah, Aubrey Marcus. He's an amazing, amazing person. His company on it, O N N I T. In fact, I have Alpha Brain on my desk right now. Um, and I love Cordyceps mushrooms as well. To me, Cordyceps mushrooms there are they're a significant cognitive enhancer for me. And in a lot of people will report increases in physical stamina and energy as well. But yeah, cordyceps mushrooms, you can get those anywhere as well. Uh, on it happens to have a line of them. Uh, their product is called Shroom Tech Sport. But cordyceps mushrooms, yeah, to me that cordyceps mushrooms is a really underknown gem in the nootropic world. That's interesting. I take, I think the company is Myoplex, but I take a mushroom immunity formula whenever I travel or go on surf trips and I never get sick. I don't know. Yeah, if mushrooms are, those are powerful little people, those mushrooms. I love them. Any, okay, this is a, a little bit random, but if you could have a party, any kind of party right now, any amount of money, where is it? What kind of band is playing or is there a band? Like, for example, right now, if I had a party, it would be like a cross between a bat mitzvah and like a quinceanera, but on Tavarua Island with surfing in between and really good Mexican food. I like that. I like that. Yeah. So I, at my party, the musician named Dustin Thomas, he would be playing. And by the way, y'all, if you don't know about Dustin Thomas, you, uh, check him out. His website is lovedustinthomas.com. He, he is the most soulful, angelic singer. Amazing. He's so talented. I love him. And he's also become a dear friend. So we would be around some kind of a lake. And there would be boats where people can wakeboard. There'd be a fire. There's, there's, yeah, free, just my tribe is there. And we're jamming to Dustin Thomas. And there's no mosquitoes also. Oh, that is the best party ever. I would like an invite <laughs> to that. Done. Um, Any, you know, I guess we have to wrap this up. I'm so grateful for your time, JP. Any advice you can give to people who just want to live more wildly? Yeah, aim to be yourself. Uh, I, and I think ourself, it's an abstract mystery. I mean, I can say those words, but really what I'm pointing to is a mystery. I think who we are is a great mystery. So I say aim to be yourself because it takes a curious mindset to have our mind and hearts calibrated in the direction of ourself. It's very easy to calibrate our minds into the direction of who we think we are or calibrate our minds into the direction of who we want to be. But I think way more sacred than who we think we are or who we want to be is who we actually are. And I think living as who we actually are it's one of the most wild adventures we can ever be on. And one of the reasons why a lot of people will do physical adventures, whether it's skydiving, big wave surfing, is it gets them out of control and, and into a state of surrender. So I think trying to be who we think we are or who we want to be, those are states of control. But who uh, aligning with the curious, mysterious discovery of who we actually are, that's an adventure that necessitates surrender rather than control. Ah, oh, I love that. Surrendering is so powerful. JP, yeah. thank you so much for sharing all of your wild ideas and just your energy and honesty with us and your sense of humor. Please keep making videos. Let us know when you're coming to the West Coast and where can people find out more? I, I heard you're having some sort of baby, maybe like an online baby community. Maybe you could tell absolutely. us about this. I, yeah, I've got an upcoming membership program that'll be launching here in the next few weeks to uh, help people live a more meaningful, fulfilling life through playfulness and purposefulness. I love self-growth. I love healing. I love uh, uh, challenging myself into my potential. And what I don't love is 
when we think we have to be serious all the time. I think seriousness is actually a plaque in the artery that prevents our growth rather than enhances it. So I think uh, a playfulness is a mindset that serves us far better on our journey of growth and fulfillment and awakening. So that's why I wanted to form this program so that we can have the ethos of playfulness while we do very important, sincere work on ourselves. So anyway, with, with that said, if y'all care to check that out or find me on social media, all my links are on my website, awakenwithjp.com. JP, thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. I cannot wait to take you in Amber Surfing. I'd love it. Shelby, you are welcome, and I so appreciate you having me on the podcast. You. Thank you for listening to this show, and thank you to JP Sears and to his assistant, Karen, for making this happen. I kind of feel like I got a free session from this one, and yes, now I will embrace my humor and be a little less scared to use it. So if I offend you in the future, I'm sorry, but let me know your thoughts. Email me, go to wildideasworthliving.com. Just hit the contact us page. I'm super easy to reach. On wildideasworthliving.com, you'll also find ways to not only support the episode, but listen to the show notes of all the episodes, including this one. We'll have links on where to buy JP's book, How to Be Ultra Spiritual. In fact, Tony Robbins and Buddha and Krishna all wrote endorsements for this book. It is a hilarious book. We'll also have links on some of my favorite YouTube videos from JP, including the yoga one, the raw cucumber pizza one, and of course, where he makes fun of vegans and people going to Costa Rica. I love all of them. I hope you enjoyed this show. Thank you again to the sponsors for supporting this show. Keen, they make awesome shoes. And New Zest, if you go to newzest-usa.com and enter code WILDIDEAS, you'll get 15% off any order you want. So check them out. Wherever you are in the world, don't forget some of the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We have Chris McDougal of Born to Run and Kimmy Warner, the amazing spearfisher woman, Huntress, coming up with so many other awesome guests. We're so excited. Enjoy your day and please tell five friends so we can keep growing. We'll see you next week. Music.